What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back on the Chase Thomas podcast, and I'm joined by old friend Robert O'Neill, the Cowboys mega hat wearer himself. Robert, good <laughs> afternoon, sir. How are you? I am great, Chase. How are you doing? Not too, not, not too bad. Are you going to wear it on Super Bowl Sunday? Uh, you know, that's to be determined. You know, uh, the Cowboys obviously aren't in the game, but I think it's festive enough that, you know, it's, it's a good look. It, it's a good look. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Um, I wanted to pick your brain about the road to WrestleMania, um, that we're now on with the Royal Rumble closing on Sunday, but to get there, we have to start with the Royal Rumble on Sunday. Um, I don't know if you were like me where part of you sighed heavily when Goldberg in the sprint of a match that he had, as he always does, fell short in his Brock Lesnar shorts against the most boring WWE champion, world champion in a long time, Drew McIntyre. What did, uh, what, what did you think of that match? And what did you think of Drew McIntyre uh, retaining and heading into another WrestleMania as the, the champ on Monday Night Raw? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I like Goldberg quite a bit. Um, mm. I I don't think him winning would have been the right choice just because, you know, you're kind of pigeonholed a little bit as far as what you can do with Goldberg as champion going into Mania. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, I don't know if it's that Drew is necessarily boring, just that Raw has been kind of boring in general. Um, I mean... I don't know. It's it's interesting with how they're going to use Goldberg going forward because, you know, he's going to be around, but does he really need to keep being in title matches or can you just bring him back to kind of work a match like he worked with Ziggler a couple of years ago against a guy like Baron Corbin or Sami Zayn where he just, uh, you know, comes in and gets his stuff in and beats a guy who isn't really hurt by losing. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I just, <laughs> I mean, it, it set the course for how the rest of the night would go, and I'd, Goldberg Edge probably would have sent some people into a tailspin at WrestleMania this year. But um, we'll get to Edge in a second. Um, what do you make about Drew, and do you actually do you like the idea of him going into WrestleMania next year as the guy? And um, is this the kind of the direction that you wanted? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't mind it. You know. A lot has been made ever since, you know, Brock beat Undertaker that, you know, the guy that inevitably eventually beats Brock is going to be the guy and everyone thought it'd be Roman, but it's kind of been turned into Drew a few years later. So I guess it's good that they're going all in on someone. I don't know, you know, who else on Raw could be the champion. I don't know who's going to challenge him, which, uh, you oh, know, you're not it, all in like, on Edge at this point, challenging him. No, no, and I mean, we'll get to Edge in a little bit. I mean, I think it's possible, but I think it's more likely that he goes after Roman. But yeah, I mean, I think Drew's been fine. I think you know, a good, strong babyface champion. It's hard to kind of not be a little bit boring just because you know you're you're kind of hamstrung into what you can do. But you know, all in all, I think Drew's been fine. I've I've enjoyed watching him for the most part, and I. I'm interested in Drew Sheamus. I'm interested in what they uh, do after that. And, yeah, we'll see. Yikes. 
you're interested in Drew Sheamus. I, I didn't know that this was a take that you had stored in the chamber before we started recording, Robert. I, I you, you left this one out when I was asking you questions, as I always do before we record. It's just like, hey, what is your take on this? So I know whether or not to book you. Um, not I. Wow. Um, that's going to send me into a tailspin. Um, Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler defeated Asuka and Charlotte for the WWE Women's Tag Titles. Um, a lot of Nia Jax on the show. A lot of just old allegiances and new allegiances with Nia Jax in the show with uh, Shayna and Tamina. Um, I think Tamina shouted at <laughs> Nia at one point, <laughs> we're family. Um, what do you make about them getting the tag titles back? I mean, it kind of is what it is, right? Like, you, you obviously are going to do Asuka against Charlotte probably for that title at some point. So you had to get the tag titles off of them. Um, I don't know. I mean, the women's tag belts are a little confusing because they're more often than not just used to push single feuds and not really treated like a tag belt. You know, they, they don't go to NXT as much as they said they would. It's, it's kind of a mess. So it's not like, I don't care who has them, but at the same time, it's, it's not something that's you know high on my radar of things that I'm going to get mad about who has them. Yeah. Um, Carmella, I thought had a really good showing at the Royal Rumble. I thought she did really solid against Sasha. Um, now we know with Bianca Belair winning the Women's Royal Rumble um, with some great stuff at the end with Rhea Ripley making them both stars. And um, I thought it was a great debut for Rhea Ripley. And um, Bianca, just she looks like a million bucks. And friend of the pod, Maxwell Bombach of RBR Wrestling, made this point this week. It's just like she she appeals to every demographic and I hadn't really considered this, but I think that's very true where guys think she's just a badass. Like women just think she's like, and also just cool. And just like you kids are like, she's super strong and awesome. And like, it just, she appeals to every different demographic and I'm excited for her. I'm excited to see what happens. Um, where do you, where do you think she goes? Do you think she ends up challenging Sasha, Sasha or do you think she, it sounds like to me that you think raw is going to go Oscar Charlotte again. Um, there's no chance she goes after the NXT title. I guess, um, we can't roll NXT India. Um, Bianca Belair might want to get into that fray. We'll see. Um, but, uh, where do you, where do you think she goes? And do you think Sasha Bianca is the right way to do things? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think she stays on SmackDown challenges Sasha. And I think, that's that's a premier match. I mean, you know, you're not going to run Sasha and Bailey again. Obviously, you've been doing that, so you have Bianca work with Bailey for now and kind of go right into Sasha and Bianca. And I think that's that's a really entertaining WrestleMania caliber match where you know Bianca against Charlotte. We've kind of seen already uh, a little bit in NXT last year, and so I don't. Or Bianca against Oscar could be good, but. Like I said, I think they're going with Charlotte that way. So yeah, I think I think Bianca and Sasha is probably the way to go. Yeah, I think so too. I I think it'll be good. I do think Bianca Oscar would be a much better match. Um, but I do think the story and the lead up will be better with Sasha and Bianca. Um, where do you think Rhea Ripley ends up? Because it seems like they're still kind of going back and forth on what brand they want to put her on. Do you think it has to do with Becky that they want to separate those two? Because that was something I was thinking about this week where I was like, I keeping her off both. I was like, you know, I wonder if they're with Becky teasing her return and Seth coming back this week with his awful Messiah gimmick, which we can get to um, just an opportunity to just reset, just burn it down just start back over. That didn't happen. But no, they were like, we let's just keep this thing on. Um, 
what do you what do you think? Do you think that's a possibility that they're trying to figure out if they want Becky on SmackDown or Raw and how they're going to split Rhea and those two up? Kind of like how they do it with Lars and other monsters. Where they're like, they want Braun on one show and Lars on another. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, Rhea came in and, you know, Alexa Bliss was doing her thing where she was going to hulk up or whatever and go after everyone, and then Rhea just threw her over like she was nothing. So I yeah. thought, you know, maybe they'd go into something with that, but then Rhea didn't show up on Raw this week. So I don't know that maybe they're still deciding where to go. I think there's more of a place for her on Raw, just kind of based on how the women's rosters look on both shows. Mm-hmm. Um, just because with Bianca and Sasha and Bailey and just a two-hour show on SmackDown, you're already kind of crowded at the top. Um, so I would like to see her go to Raw, but it is going to be interesting. Yeah. Um, which do you think was the better about uh, Royal Rumble as a whole? Do you think the women or men's was a better match itself? Yeah, I mean, I like the women's more, I Same. think. Um, you know, it it kind of did drag a little bit. It felt like they kind of front-loaded it. You know, you look at the first 10 entrants, you had you know, Bianca and Shayna and Bailey all in there. Um, and then it kind of hit a lull for a little bit, but I think overall it was the better one, uh, more enjoyable. You know, the the surprises that came back were a lot of fun. Jillian cool Hall, big Jillian Hall guy right here. Love me some oh, yeah. Jillian Hall. No, Billy Jillian Kay Hall is yeah. a superstar. <laughs> Billy Kay, just an awful wrestler, and I'm glad they leaned into that because I was getting heat like years ago where I was like, she's atrocious in the ring, and none of this works. And, you know, but she has comedy stuff. Like, she can be used in a totally different way. Um, and they figured out how to use her, which is great. And it's a delightful thing. Yeah, no, exactly. No, I think, you know, the women's rumble did a good job telling a story where, you know, Bianca comes in early. They hadn't had someone win the women's rumble from, I think a spot before like 15. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to finally have someone go long and, you know, continue to rack up the eliminations. They made Rhea look like a threat, kind of like we talked about. You know, the ending was a lot like, uh, Cena and Batista in 2005, where you kind of made two stars right there. I think that was cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, we'll say, did not remember Santina Garrett. Don't don't remember her at all. Do you remember her? Uh, I think she's technically in NXT at the moment. Is, um, is but she? She doesn't really work there all that often. But I think, yeah, it. I I don't think she was like a surprise return. I think she is technically part of NXT. Um, I know, you know, just based on everything going on, they had a bunch of, like, alternates there just in case, so she might have just been filling in for someone, I guess. And But, yeah, I mean, she didn't do too much that I can remember in the Rumble or just in NXT in general. Yeah, for sure. Um, Roman Reigns beats Kevin Owens. This was so much fun. This had no business being this much fun, and uh, obviously Roman Reigns is going to win this match, but Kevin Owens... Doing everything he can. This match goes for twenty five minutes. Um, did you did you love Roman versus Kevin? I did because I think Kevin Owens is probably my favorite guy on the roster at the moment. Mm. Um, so I'm a big Kevin Owens fan, you know. And going into it, obviously Roman's going to win. So how are they going to make it so you're not bored knowing the result for twenty five minutes? I think they did a good job. You know, the the handcuff thing at the end was unfortunate because. You know, they just couldn't get him unlocked. But for about 22 of the 25 minutes, it was a very good match. And I don't know. I mean, Roman just winning with the submission hold, I think, was that could have been better, too. But overall, just a, just a really good match. And I don't always like last man standing matches because they do have that aspect where there's a lot of downtime. You know, you're waiting while the ref counts. And they, they kept it entertaining. 
They did. And I think they deserve credit for that. Um, Edge, starting out at one. There was some confusion as to who was coming out first between him and Orton. Because I think the betting lines, didn't they set it as he was supposed to come out second? That, wasn't that a thing? Yeah. They accidentally got it mixed up? Yes. Yes. Because they announced it on uh, on backstage on Saturday yeah. night that Orton was going to be first and Edge was going to be second. And then, yeah, they flipped it. Classic Which, whoops. I mean, not... Not that it matters because, you know, the first two guys are the first two guys. They're in. Well, I think it mattered for betting odds. Like, that's the thing. People who are betting on it, I think it actually mattered and threw some stuff into because, like, he won and didn't come out where he was bet at. Um, So that was weird. Um, Edge looked incredible. Christian looked incredible. Carlito looked incredible. Carlito getting signed now because he looked incredible is awesome. I'm really happy Carlito's back and I'm glad that MVP Bush for him back. Um, but what was your what was your favorite moment from the Rumble, and do you think Edge was the right call here? Yeah, I mean, I think Edge is the right call. Um, you know, they had high hopes for him last year, and then obviously the injury happened, and you know they're they're trying to make it a big moment. You know, uh, I think my pick going into it was Daniel Bryan, and Same. he ended up he looked fine. I mean, he's a guy that can obviously be heated up for a title at any time, and it looks like they're going to do you know, Brian against Rollins now. And I thought actually when Seth eliminated him, I'm like, oh, that's it. Seth is going to win. Um, so I was actually surprised at the end when it was uh, Edge. I think my favorite moment was Christian just because it was so out of nowhere. Yeah, he got cleared silently a week prior is what it seems like. Because it was funny because, you know, uh, Randy and Sami Zayn and Ali were all beating up Edge. And I'm like, oh, it would be cool if, you know, Christian was cleared. He could come in and save Edge here. And then it ended up being Jeff Hardy. Um so it was kind of funny to see Christian again later. For sure, for sure. I, I Christian I, looked great, man. I wish he was yeah. back at like Edge on a part time basis. I was always more of a like. I read about this this week, um, and Edge, and this was like one of the rare um, comebacks and using part timers in a positive way, where it's actually pretty awesome. And he can still go, and this is cool. Um, I think it's a big risk, like with his injury stuff and his age, that like you're gonna put him in the WrestleMania main event. You're gonna hope that he can get through it for couple more months and that it's going to be all right um we shall see fingers crossed but it is a big risk i think um yeah is that fair yeah, like that's... it's not like brock lesnar and these other guys like he is at this point injury prone and like this is something you have to be concerned about is like he is i mean i guess daniel bryan is too considering he also came back from just a seeming situation where he was never going to get cleared again so it's just like every everybody can get cleared it's like bad contracts <laughs> in sports we always think you can never have you, there's a contract that's just untradeable in pro wrestling, you can always come back, apparently. Yeah. No, and I think that's fair, though. I think Edge was even injury-prone before he had to retire. You know, you look at kind of the mid-2000s, he missed time with the neck injury the first time. Um, you know, he, he came back from the neck injury, I think, broke his hand immediately. Um, so, you know, there's there's been injuries for him in the past. So I think, you know, trusting him to stay healthy and putting him in the WrestleMania main event two and a half months ahead of time is doing a lot, but, you know, I'm I'm excited to watch it unfold. I think he's going to ultimately pick Roman Reigns to go after, and I think that's going to be just a, a lot of fun to watch unfold. Um, but I do like that he's not forcing the decision yet. He's going to all three shows. You know, he's taking his time. We, we haven't seen that a whole ton uh, the past few years, and, you know, that's kind of been a staple of the Royal Rumble since they started having two shows, so it's, it's cool that they're leaning into that this year. 
Absolutely. So it sounds like you really do believe that Edge is going to challenge Roman Reigns because I don't see that. Although the spot that would come, which is a double spear that knocks them both out, I'm here for it. I'm here. That's what pro wrestling's about. But um, I I don't know. I just don't think that's what they're they're going to do. I don't think that's what they want. Well, you know what the thing is? It's interesting because I don't think that Edge against Drew McIntyre, you know, babyface versus babyface, is really the best match you can do. Um, and I, I don't think he's going to go to the next I think that's just a kind of a smoke screen. And, but the thing about SmackDown is they have plenty of guys where if you want to do, you know, not have edge go there and do a number one contender elimination chamber or whatever, yeah. you can do that. It'll be a really good match. So, I mean, it's, uh, I think right now, if I had to make a pick, he'd be going after Roman, but maybe it's not as much of a slam dunk as people seem to think. I mean, I, you I can also we'll just figure turn out Drew. more. No, well, yeah, that too. I mean, or there's, you know, no guarantee that Drew's going to keep the title. I mean, yeah. you could, there's still, like I said, there's so much time. I don't, we've never had this much time between a Royal Rumble and WrestleMania with them pushing Mania back. So can you imagine the, the internet's response? If Randy wins the elimination chamber, they do McIntyre in the chamber and he wins the title and they do Randy edge for the WWE <laughs> world title at WrestleMania. Yeah, no people, people would be mad, but it'd be a good match. I mean, it would. I don't think now that I'm thinking about it, that doesn't actually sound all that outlandish. I think that's a possibility. Um, your favorite moment. On, we'll put a bow on this Royal Rumble subject matter, Robert. Um, your favorite moment from the Rumble and your least favorite moment this year? Yeah, I mean, I think my favorite moment is probably Christian coming back just because, like I said, it was so out of nowhere. It's nice. It's when you Christian. Get those surprises. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that was great. Um, I think my least favorite moment, even though I knew it was coming, was Braun Strowman coming out 30. I was hoping that, you know, maybe it'd be Brock Lesnar and we'd get his WrestleMania program started just because, you know, he's my favorite and I want to see him back. It's been almost a year now, which it's crazy. But, uh, you know, all in all, I, I always enjoy the Royal Rumble. I think it's really still the best event that they do top to bottom. And mm. this, this was another good one. Not a fast lane guy. <laughs> no, no, not quite. Not quite. Um, this week um, on the road to WrestleMania, when you think about the other matches that you would like to see them build towards, uh, what, are you, what are you forecasting? How are you fantasy booking the next couple months? You know, I got to tell you, a lot of people are real mad about uh, Bad Bunny getting involved, but mm. I'm here for it, man. Oh, Bad Bunny is yeah, good. He sells. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm I'm here for it. And it really helped get Damian Priest over, which I'm, they're clearly trying to We didn't to even do, mention you know, him. He's have... awesome. He was so good in the Royal Rumble, and he really came off as a star. Very big Damian Priest guy. Yeah, no, and he's a guy I went back and forth with in NXT, but, you know, since they've brought him up, I know it's only been the two shows or whatever, but they're getting behind him, and that's cool to see. Um, he's just more of a main roster guy than an NXT guy, and some guys are like that, and that's okay. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think, I don't know if they're going to hold off on Daniel Bryan against Seth Rollins till WrestleMania or if they're going to do it at, you know, Elimination Chamber or Fastlane, but that seems to be a direction that they're going to go in. Um, you know, I imagine they're going to do The Fiend against Randy Orton if he doesn't win the title, like you kind of talked about with Elimination Chamber. I think that's a match that you can do. And I don't know if they're going to stick with the cinematic matches. Uh you know, with fans in attendance, but I think Randy Orton's a guy where if you do a match like they did with Cena last year, there's there's so much there that you can get into. For sure. 
do you buy the John Cena smokescreen that he's just mathematically not capable of being at his first WrestleMania since Hogan Rock? You know, originally I did, and I'm like, oh, that's unfortunate. But the fact that he just came out and said it like yeah. three months in advance is just, I don't know, man. Like, you know, they're going to have fans there. They're going to want to do something big. I don't know that, you know, Becky Lynch is necessarily ready yet. Yeah, I mean, you you can't get much bigger than John Cena coming in. Do you how how do you book him? Like at this point, what do you do if you're John Cena? What is the right guy? Who is the right guy for him this year? <laughs> no, this might be crazy, but is there a reason not to do John Cena against Drew McIntyre? I know they're both baby oh. faces or whatever, but do that. Do that for the title. Why not? You just had Drew beat Goldberg. He can. He's clearly, you know, able to beat these bigger guys. Why not do that? I hadn't even considered this, my friend. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't think I don't hate that. I don't hate Drew um, Cena. Um, they can work in the chosen one stuff. Um, get Vince involved, I guess potentially. Um, I don't know. I, I just when I was thinking about the roster, I was thinking about like where they're at and who makes the most sense and who doesn't like. It. I figured that Fox would want him on SmackDown in a lead up to WrestleMania if they were going to bring him back for something. And you look at the roster, and I'm just like, I I, I don't know. I mean, if you want to go full fantasy booking, you're like, wouldn't it be great if Mustafa Ali got the opportunity and they made Retribution go after John Cena? And you're like, oh, they're not going to do that. That's hey, calm your little IWC brain, Jace. Like that's <laughs> that's not how things work um and that's ridiculous they're not going to do that and then you're like okay well what could they do like what is the most realistic thing that would also be cool and i think it's keith lee i think keith lee is actually like the most realistic interesting option where like the superman stuff from keith lee and i am phenomenal and john cena they both kind of had that superhero vibe and the positivity stuff like i i don't know i think kids and people would really love to see keith lee remember how he beat randy orton and like the seven seconds and like how quickly he did that and they can play that up that like i already beat the one main guy from the ruthless aggression era now i want to beat the other guy i i want keith lee versus john cena wrestlemania this year that's that's what i want yeah no that's interesting too because you know if keith gets a win over cena and cena you know and you can do babyface against babyface because you know, if Cena's going to put the guy over, it's it's fine. It's a big rub for the guy. So that would be interesting, too. Yeah. Um, looking ahead uh, to this week, um, are you are you are you still shaken up by Lars Sullivan? Not uh, no longer being with the company. How are you dealing with this development? You know, really, it kind of just felt like a matter of time after he uh, he did his shirtless interview with Michael Cole and then was just off TV. And then once he wasn't in the Rumble, it kind of felt like the writing was on the wall, which, you know, they really don't release people. So imagine what you have to do to actually get released these days. Yeah. You know, most people, they'll keep around and be like, oh, we'll we'll figure something out for you, you know, but you know, you think of it. I know they did the mass releases uh, last April, but other than that, I mean, there aren't a ton of people that just get, you know, randomly released like that. You have to listen to Brett Favre talk about the current NFL superstar or the undertaker talk about the current WWE superstar. Who would you rather listen to for 25 minutes? Oh man. You know, I was really hoping that, you know, cause Guys like, uh, I know superstar Billy Graham has been a guy who's spoken out against 
kind of the current stuff for a long time. And I was hoping that the Attitude Era guys wouldn't follow suit. And now here we are, and it's just, you know, Undertaker's doing it. Goldberg did it a little bit. You know, Devon Dudley did it a little bit. And it's just like, don't start, guys. Like, everyone likes you. They want to, well, I don't know how many people like The Undertaker too much anymore, but, you know, these are these guys that everyone kind of likes and has fond memories of, and they're determined to screw that up for everyone. Yeah, it's just, and he, what scares me more is that he's going down to the performance center, right? Like, it seems like he's going to be a coach. And then you're like, well, I don't know if you want that there. I don't know if you want that kind of personality there. And I don't know if you want that negativity. Like, I just, I don't know if that's a good fit. I would be nervous if I'm Triple H and Shawn Michaels in this group. Like, I'm like, eh, I don't know if you want this dude down there. Do you really want uh, him getting in the locker room and just talking shit about your product? I, I don't know if that's a good thing. Like, I, I don't think he's... A big Johnny Gargano guy would be my guess. I don't think The Undertaker loves him some Johnny Gargano. <laughs> yeah. No, I would agree with that. And that's that's an issue because, you know, I think there is something that someone like The Undertaker can bring to the table and teach people, but you really have to be careful with how he's doing it. You do, and I don't think being careful is going to be what his thing is. Um, Carlito wants Chris Masters, my favorite tag team from the the mid two thousands. Who could forget the first match of WrestleMania twenty one? I want to say where they were the tag Raw tag champs, the World tag champs, and they uh, I want to say lost to Kane and Big Show. Is that correct? Or were Kane and um, Big Show already champions? No, yeah, I think it's twenty two, but that is was that correct yeah. otherwise. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay, because that was the Edge McFoley year. I want to say, mm-hmm. right? The Chicago one. That was Chicago. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, bring back Chris Masters. Why not? What do we, like, I'm okay with bringing back all these, like MVP has opened the door where I'm like, the Hurt Business is the best thing on Raw and Shelton Benjamin just forgetting to take his mask off coming out. Like everything about them it, is incredible. I, I've i never enjoyed Bobby Lashley more. Like my girlfriend, when I, she saw Bobby Lashley come out, she's like, is that man just like, like just her ex- exasperation at like what she was looking at and just being like is he just all muscle and i'm like he's looked like that for like 20 years i bobby lashley is just a full muscle at this point like that that is his body it's just muscle um yeah but i enjoy it like the hurt business is fantastic and i want them to never break up but um yeah i don't know are you okay with chris masters coming back and then uh you know what raw needs more tag teams so i'm here for it like bring them back who cares yeah, I think that'd be great. I like Chris Masters a lot, and uh, I think he's also like 38. He just turned 38 like that, last month. Is he so really? Yeah, so because he came in, he was young when he came in the first time. So, you know, 38 compared to some of the guys on the roster is not bad. I recall this is how we'll wrap up here, um, Robert. Um, I recall you not being you, like we don't have the time. There's too much content. Like NXT India will get zero amount of time from me. <laughs> I don't have time. It's not on my radar. It'll never be my radar. Um, that being said, New Japan working with AEW now we know expanding their television stuff in the US and UK, and now they have a partnership with the Roku channel. Are you going to be a New Japan weekly viewer? You know, I don't know about weekly, but you know what my big hang-up has been for New Japan is it's just not super accessible for me at a time that I'm awake because, you know, everything with the time difference, it's, yeah. just, it's on a crazy time. So, you know, if, if this channel on the Roku kind of has a library where you can go back and kind of watch some of their old stuff, watch it a little bit later, I'll give it a shot. I don't see why not. I mean, there's good stuff there. It's just it's been the time difference. That's always been the big hang-up for me. 
All right. Well, there you go. Um, Robert, is there anything you would like to plug before we wrap up here today? Uh, no. I mean, just follow me on Twitter, at uh, Robert O'Neill 31 And, uh, yeah, that's about it. Well, it's also uh, it's also uh, just a, a very good Twitter account where you go after, <laughs> um, and I'll have to talk to you about this off air, but um, going after wrestlers that I know. Um, you're, you're, you're just free-flowing on the Twitter sphere, Robert. So I appreciate that because I am the exact opposite. So uh, keep up the good work, my friend. I appreciate it. Um, and stay warm out there and stay safe. Thanks, Robert. Yeah, thanks, man. Yep. Chase Thomas of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Link for you to subscribe and listen in the description. Chase asked me about Zach Wilson, quarterback out of BYU, so I decided to make a video about him ahead of the upcoming draft. This isn't a full draft preview or anything like that, but I'm happy to watch a little film, tell you my thoughts, and explain why he's definitely a first-round type prospect. Let's get into it. Wyatt got the ball. Wyatt back to throw. Wyatt look. Wyatt toward the end zone. Pass. Oh, down by Matthew Butler. Matthew Butler. Jack. What's up, y'all? I'm Matt Wyatt, former player, now broadcaster, helping you get more enjoyment watching football. Welcome back to the channel. Zach Wilson at BYU, 6'3", No size issues. Basically listed as the same size as, say, Mac Jones from Alabama. He's certainly a quick twitch athlete. I'd say he's a better than good athlete. No idea what kind of 40 time he'll run, but watch the highlights and you see he's plenty fast enough. You watch him play enough, you'll see the ability to change arm angles, whether it's throwing on the run or off balance in the screen game. He'll improvise, break the pocket, and make yards with his legs. He looks like he's just an all around good football player. I went back and watched, among other games, the Tennessee game from 2019 his second year in college. He showed a little magic at the end of that game where they were down under a minute left, deep on their own end, and he escaped and ran to extend the drive. He jumped up, didn't panic, got his team lined up, and then read the deep safeties and hit a huge vertical route that put them all the way down in field goal range. Right, so here he is, this is at the end of the ball game, three points down, and there's only 47 seconds on the clock. So what we talk about, a little bit of magic. They're in empty, two into the boundary, three to the wide side of the field. They only get a three-man rush. Everybody drops, just trying to keep them in front of him. And this is understanding, you know, the situation in the game. Go make yards right here. Split it. You know, wait until you can't wait anymore. Then get what you can get. Now, here's what I like. You know, running the show. 36 seconds left. Again, this is sophomore year. This is not 2020. 36 seconds left. Time's ticking. They don't have timeouts. Don't panic. Get them lined up. Do it quickly. Get the play called. Getting it called to the line of scrimmage now with 25 seconds. Again, no panic, but definitely hurry up. And then right here, what's Tennessee doing? We can see one safety that they're putting deep on this hash. They've got another here on this hash who's off the screen. And you're going to get double verticals in here to the boundary to the right side uh, to his right. And what happens is I think that inside vertical sort of holds uh, deep defenders a little closer to the middle of the field and allows there to be a hole shot to the outside vertical. Look at his eyes, not panicking, read the safety deep on that side. I've got to make a deep throw. And if it's there, make the throw. It's a really good read and put it on him with a chance to make a play. Uh, look at his footwork in the pocket. 
You know, sit on that back foot, hitch up, shoulder square. You don't have happy feet. Make the read, drive it in there. It's a really accurate throw. Again, if you leave too much air, it's going to be bang, bang, you get hit. If you leave it behind, you know, it's make it a little harder to catch. So you put it in this space, he and the receiver on the same page, and now you get yards after the catch. And uh, not a great job of the safety. But this is the guy who was actually lined up on this left hash who's coming all the way over here to try to make this play and overruns it. And that's what got him down there in field goal range where they were able to kick the field goal, tie it up, go win it in overtime. Pruitt was furious with his secondary after giving that play up. You see it kind of from his angle, eyes in the middle of the field, and then uh, drive that in there before safety can come over. One got hung out underneath, one overran it, and big yards after the catch. His career in terms of numbers really speaks for itself. For a guy who played one full season and parts of two others, to go out and still put up over 7,000 yards passing, never dipped below 60% completions, and most importantly, improved his touchdown to interception ratio each year, you have to be impressed. And it just showed that he's got real command of the game and is going to be able to handle competing at the NFL level. His freshman year, 19 years old, was the youngest player to ever start for BYU. I think what's most impressive was that 18 for 18 performance in the bowl win where he threw four touchdowns. His sophomore year, he was the starter, but injuries popped up. He missed all of spring with shoulder surgery, then broke his thumb against Toledo and missed six weeks before coming back. His numbers weren't as good in 2019, and he finished the season on a real rough stretch, throwing four picks and no touchdowns in the last two games. But in 2020, he was just so dialed in. There was a stretch in weeks two through six where he threw 14 touchdowns and no picks, and they blew everybody out. The only blip this season was the loss to Coastal Carolina. And overall, it was a pretty easy schedule. But he did what you'd expect an NFL quarterback to do. He dominated that schedule. Over 3,600 yards, 74% completions, and 33 touchdowns to just three picks all year long. Pretty impressive. Here's an example of something you want to see uh, from any quarterback, and that is if you're going to get hit, especially if you know it, can you still be in the pocket, you know, good feet and deliver a strike and, and uh, throw against pressure? Right here, there, and empty. They've got a receiver that's all the way down here off the screen. You can't see. So it's three and two empty out here against Tennessee in this game. Tennessee, regardless of their personnel, they've got four on the line and two others coming up. So if all of those come, obviously that is six. Well, in empty, you only have five. So he knows right now, if I get all six of these coming, I got to throw hot. And you've got either a hot read or a built-in slant to protect you if you need to throw quickly. So watch what happens. Here they come, both to the left edge. One's going to occupy center. They're trying to twist another around in the middle, bring pressure in his face and get there. They pick up inside and leave the outside free. So he knows he's going to get hit by somebody. Let's watch him in the pocket. Stand in. I like this. Get your feet set, even though there's pressure. Good firm base, great posture. I know I'm going to get hit and I feel it. Wait on the break and make sure it's an accurate throw. Don't rush the throw. Don't let this pressure affect your accuracy. If you go back and you watch my Mac Jones video from earlier this year, you point that out. That's something he does really well. And evaluators look at that and go, aha, that's what I want to see. 
Here's an example with Zach Wilson. Zip. All right. So a little bit of a pat. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. You see it right here? Little bit of a double clutch. Boom, I'm thinking about now. Little hesitation, just a tiny bit of hesitation. Not really sure why. Maybe it's even, you know, the official. But it's patience. It's knowing I got a free blitzer. I'm going to get hit. But patience to drill it in there and get that first down. That's a nice job. A little magic in that game. This is the overtime touchdown. Kind of like what we saw early. And that is he's going to get hit, but is able to throw the ball accurately. You know, whether it's RPO or or whether it's a call play action, you know, for the purposes of looking at what a quarterback's doing without knowing the read, you know, he knows he's one-on-one -on -one right here, kind of skinny post slant. They're in a three and four look against this um, 11 personnel, tight end and a single back. He does get rush off the edge where he's putting the ball and reading in the back of the belly. I mean, the belly of the back, excuse me, pulls it out of there and, I think right here knows, okay, I'm going to get rid of this football before I get popped, but this is what I want to see. When I know, you know, there's another jersey coming to get me, feet are square. I'm not running out of there throwing off balance. I'm going to drive that left knee right into my target, just like that, and put it on him just before getting hit. This is really good for a guy in his second year of college, and you got a touchdown out of it. And it turned out to be the winning score in the ballgame. Selfie, selfie time. In the celebration. Selfies with Santa. Looking right here at his throwing motion. We'll come back and look. Um, this is good. Good, you know, kind of wide base, maybe a little wider, but still it's athletic. And uh, shoulder square, really nice mechanics. Um, ball comes out a little low. Uh, you know, it's not one of these big, huge wind-up deals, but he seats the ball low. That's what I say. It kind of reminds me of Russell Wilson, but it comes out plenty quick enough. You know, there's no wasted motion at the top. Balls up, a little tight C right there, and turn it loose accurately. I think he's mechanically really sound. And, and you don't throw for as many yards as he had if, if you're not. Yeah, we talk about him being an athlete. We can get an example of it right here in the uh, USC game. They're going handoff, reverse pass, going to hit him. He gets it, delay, wheel route, throw back to the quarterback out of the backfield. And, uh, you know, he's not a statue. He's a pretty good athlete. Gets him down there inside the 10. Now, rolling left right here, you know, he's not perfect. This is a little bit of a mistake. You know, you could call it lazy, but it's just a ball that gets away from him. But I'll show you what I mean. Right here, he's going to roll to his left. Now, now, what you want is to really push it and, and maybe even push it harder deep so that you can now get back vertical, like you're running downhill towards your target to make this throw, as opposed to sort of, kind of flattening it out and you're actually headed this way towards the sideline. It's not terrible right here. And he does kind of get that left shoulder around a little bit, but not enough. And when he throws the football, you can see that his momentum is sort of here. You know, he's not getting that left foot around in front for right-handed quarterback. He's still drifting sort of laterally and it's all arm. So because of that, you see that? You know, it's really not hip out in front. I'm really throwing this with open hips. What I mean by that is if you were to draw a line across his body, 
it's actually pointing out that way. Okay, open hips. Kind of, it's actually pointing out that way. So the ball is gonna sail on him. So right now you got a touchdown if you put it on the pylon here, but because of the footwork, his hips are open, the ball sails on him a little bit and it's high and you get an incompletion. Uh, I'll show you an example here. Uh, this is this year, 2020 against Boise State, where this is perfect. Same type throw, rolling to his left. Now it is a little different, not straight rollout, but it's reverse out, fake the handoff. But watch him here. So now he's really going to get going downhill right towards that target. Boom. See him right here? Really push it back deep. So now he's flipped his hips, and now he's a little bit more vertical up the field going right towards his target when he throws. See that momentum? And you see the difference on the one from the one before? That left hip is kind of out front, knee out front. He's headed. And even if you drew a, a line across his belt there, he's more upfield. And his momentum is more towards his target as opposed to laterally. And so uh, he drives it in there on an accurate throw to the sideline. And that's the way it should look. So if you look at both of these side by side, you can kind of see what I'm saying. Now, they're not perfect because the camera angles aren't the same. But the one on the left, again, that he, you know, he, he's drifting a little bit. His momentum's a little flat as opposed to really getting those shoulders zipped around and headed right toward his target. So this one's a little flat and lateral. This one, he's much more um, flipped and headed downfield towards his target right at him. So he's got a chance to be accurate and kind of see the difference. See the one on the left, how he's very opened up. His momentum is really not forward. It's really all throwing off that back foot on the one on the left. Whereas right now on the right at release, I'm going right towards my target. Momentum's going forward. That is all footwork. That's why you do those million drills. This one is going to lead to high throws and inaccuracy. This one is going to be accurate. And it's just a matter of footwork. So, you know, he's a young guy. He's a young quarterback. He hadn't always been perfect. But he's pretty doggone good. And he shows you that <clears throat> with his athleticism. Uh, reminds you a little bit of Manziel right there, just extending, extending, get rid of it late, get what you can. Certainly a good athlete. Your play action, standing there, zip, perfect ball, touchdown. Yeah, we're not getting an all 22 look right here, seeing the secondary, but pretty sure what they have is. Uh, you know, man-free. So you're man-to-man -man on everyone. They've got to tie it into the boundary. That's going to be a man-to-man -man responsibility through that backside corner. Four down, two in the box. So it's a 4-3 look. Uh, let's see. Yeah, so that's going to be your free safety. Your strongs walk down man-to-man. -man, and then uh, linebacker nickel. Do I have that right? Or did I put an extra in there? Let's see. 4-2. No, it's actually, yeah. So it's like uh, four... Two, maybe that's the third linebacker. <laughs> Regardless, what you have is corner, corner, okay, free safety, and then two more defenders, whether they're safeties or nickels or linebacker and, and safety, whatever it is. But we do know it certainly is man-to-man -man safeties in the middle of the field. So if you're going to hit something out here in this uh, vertical third for a touchdown, it means a quarterback's got to either make sure he's in the middle of the field or keep him there in the middle of the field somehow. Play action kind of helps just a little. The other thing is to, you know, peeks at him, eyes in the middle of the field, and then uh, you got the vertical coming open. Just because number two wins to the outside. And whether it's a matchup thing and game plan, regardless, he wins to the outside. But it's not terrible coverage. I mean, 
You've got a, a, a defender who's running with him step for step and is right in his face mask. But because of the position of the football, um, it's a touchdown. It's really an accurate throw. And he's kind of shown in the stuff that I've watched a knack for that, throwing that deep ball. He's just got a real feel for uh, how to get it in there. Here he is thrown out of his end zone, long throw and comeback, get him out of there. That's just an arm strength deal. You know, it's one of those plays you could look at it and see. You know, it's not only a matter of reading it. They're in nickel, likely a 3-3 in the box and, and nickel. And their soft cushion to his left, he's into the boundary. Wide side of the field, they're going bump. But he likes to match up. So this is a really long throw. And, you know, it's the longest out route you'll throw, and that is one hash to the opposite sideline. Zip, put it on him. Good timing. Get it out of there. It's a big boy throw. We have here play action, take off run, be an athlete, go make a first down with your legs. Makes it kind of look easy on some of that stuff when he's skating around. He's a fast kid. Really like this because, you know, it shows him getting the ball out of there quickly uh, from under center. So they gave him that opportunity. He's up under center right here. Watch him, you know, from a footwork standpoint, come back, turn your back to the defense just a little, show the football, try to hold. This is what you're trying to do. Hold those guys right there where they are just for a split second. This is where the ball is going to go on that backside hash. But right now he's looking up here to see if that safety's staying where he was. He stays. Now <clears throat> he doesn't have to hitch. He doesn't have to really get both feet up and hitch forward to make this throw. Just put that back foot in the dirt, get set, and drive off of it. Boom, just like that. See that? So once he gets back there, he's not stepping and then hitching up, which would get the ball out late. He understands the timing is now. Back foot in the ground, drive off of it, and immediately ball comes out. Zip it to him. Now, it is behind him just a little bit, but if we're looking at it from the field, there's always that deal of you don't want to lead him into that defender, so that's probably why he puts it on his back shoulder. And uh, it's a strike for a touchdown. Really nice play. Throwing it at the goal line. You know, um, you see that a lot. Bunch routes on the goal line, trying to confuse any man-to-man -man responsibilities they have. And he gets it. You know, again, timing, you could throw it a little earlier. He's um, reading and just straight backpedal out of a shotgun snap. See him here, one, two, three, four, kind of drift, one little pat. So, you know, you could get it out a little earlier. If, uh, you know, if you're trying to coach this to be perfect, you probably tell him, okay, right now you're seeing defender run from underneath and two are on top. So we already know we have the throw. So go ahead right now, put that foot in the dirt and let this thing go. Put it on that hash mark right now so that when his head turns, the ball's about to hit him. You know, that's fine. But it's still not bad because quick enough release, I'm able to get it there with enough velocity before the defender, who's pretty close, can react to it, put it on his outside shoulder, and the receiver makes a play for him. I watch him throw, and it sort of reminds me of a bigger Russell Wilson very athletic base, seats the ball low like Russell, but also a quick enough release to get it out. Throws the ball deep and back shoulder stuff really accurately. Better than average athlete, plenty of velocity. Throws the deep ball on opposite sideline with no trouble. Extremely productive, faced a little adversity and came back better. He really does check all the boxes. It's easy to see why some have him projected to be the second quarterback off the board on draft night. 
and I guess we'll have to wait and see. Do me a favor and subscribe and like. Thank you, and I'll see you on the next one. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.